2: And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years, almost 19 now, to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your App Store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope that people choose to do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively engage these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd appreciate it if you do so. You can give us a call at 563-999-3581. And or you can send us an email. TJH at mindshifters-academy dot org, or you can email genie at j e a n i e at whyagain dot org. That's w h y, a g a i n dot o r g. And if you email us, we will address the comment or question on the air, and then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time we addressed your missive and you can listen back to the archive for the feedback. We appreciate when anybody does any of that, whether it's a phone call or an email, because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. So if you would let us know how we can be of service to you, we would appreciate it. 563-999-3581. And once you call that number and press 1, we will have a conversation. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. Susan, welcome. Hi,
0: Dr. Tim. Quick question. Somewhere in the Anthony DeMello book, He said something about how the world is this or that, you know, in trouble, whatever. And it it is not – he didn't say our responsibility. He said something about how we can't do anything about it. I I just would love to hear that sentence again. I'm just asking a lot because why would you know where it is? But do you happen to remember what I'm talking about?
2: Um, Not only that, I think I know what you're driving at. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Because since uh, since you had your conversation with Michael yesterday... Um,
0: right. I probably misquoted I, him and Michael was all over it. So I wanted well, to straighten you know, it out. I,
2: but here's the issue, as far as I can tell. This is not your responsibility to straighten out. Okay. As you said, Michael was all over it. So leading into this, whatever, this discussion, this Internet show today, I was, I have been having lots of thoughts about how to say what might be useful and it's it's the simplest of things and it's all complicated because human beings are involved right <laughs> right it doesn't need to be difficult and yet we make it difficult and michael himself was saying this he was quoting himself from the book whyagain.org why again dot, why, why am i why is this happening to me again he was quoting that when he said you know a simple mind makes things simple and a complicated mind makes the complicated or the simple complicated and vice versa. So, right. so coming into today's internet show, I have this phrase. Are you ready? You might want to write yep. this down. This this <laughs> this is a life changing phrase. All right. And it goes this way. Yes, and dot dot dot.
0: Okay, got it. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, you know, Michael Rice. I'm not. <laughs> Michael Rice is in the habit of saying, "No, that's a terrible statement." Right. But then, if you listen to what he says following it, he's really saying the same thing with a slightly different phrase and a slightly different focus on the dynamic that he wants to convey, which is essentially the same dynamic that Anthony DeMello. And he does the same thing with Michael Singer. Jeannie is reading Michael Singer. And and Michael Singer is basically saying to my eye and ear exactly the same thing. And then when Jeannie pauses, Michael says, no, that's a terrible thing to say. Here's the truth,
0: <clears throat> <laughs> right? But you know what? And I feel And it. as a
2: okay. as a listener, as a listener, I think, you know, we'll, our job is not to try and change Michael Singer or Michael Rice or whatever. But as a listener, I find it is so much more valuable to listen with the filter of yes and. And I've and talked I, about it before. Look for the similarities. Go ahead. I'll I'll be quiet Mm -hmm. for a minute.
0: (laughs) I got so much out of your show and his, and I do feel as if I did a yes and. It's been tremendously helpful to have listened to both shows, but the way DeMello worded it opened a latch for me that I want to hear again, even if Michael said, oh, this way or that. I I would love to if you know where that sentence is. I'd love to hear it again, and that's okay, okay. if you
2: don't. I mean, well, I'm I'm pretty sure we can find it because I'm, I you know I I read that one section.
0: I mean the this, co- combination this, this, of this, the two
2: this last paragraph that i read yesterday is there is no explanation you can give that would explain away all the sufferings and evil and torture and destruction and hunger in the world
3: you'll never explain
2: it you can try gamely with your formulas religious and otherwise but you will never explain it because life is a mystery which means your thinking mind cannot make sense out of it. In mm-hmm. other words, to use Michael Rice's language or jargon or pattern of thinking, which, which he thinks is the only way to go at this, the number one solution for the non-being mind, the pseudo-solution of the non-being mind is, I'm going to figure this out. Anthony mm-hmm. DeMello says exactly the same thing. Because life is a mystery, this means your thinking mind cannot make sense of it. Mm -hmm. For that, you've got to wake up. And then you'll suddenly realize that reality is not problematic. You're the problem. Or, to use Michael Rice's words, what you're holding inside of you that's getting triggered, that's what you need to dismantle. That's the only thing you can dismantle. Mm-hmm. And 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 so you know. Anthony Mello says, "Wake up, be aware," and Michael Rice says, "Take full responsibility for everything in you that's less than love, and dismantle the cross-generational patterns that are in you." And it's the same stuff to my eye and ear. So the phrase
4: mm-hmm.
2: that any of us listening can adapt to really good effect is, "Yes." and dot 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 mm-hmm. yeah and when when somebody doesn't even hear the source material but then says no that's wrong they are not saying yes and they're slamming doors
3: even mm-hmm. though
2: if you listen to what they're saying following that you might find something useful
4: mhm
2: Right. and 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 so if if the yes and filter helps you listen longer, use it because it 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 gives you more grist for the mill, as Ram Das would say, you know, Michael was <laughs> quoting the Ram Das story yesterday you know yeah. there there are all kinds of teachers that say essentially the same thing but they don't use exactly the same words. Yeah. And, and look at how much you got out of staying with it yesterday through Michael's half of the show.
0: Right, I did.
2: But what you got out of it was from your willingness to stay the course and, 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 and integrate it from your perspective there's no magic in the way one person or another who works with you. So here's the other thing that that came to me very strongly since listening to that show last night. And this is from the physicist perspective. The, the gentleman's name was Tillman. I don't remember his first name, but he was a physicist. And he was working with um Gary Craig who created the EFT tapping. Oh yeah. And 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 Gary had these DVDs um CDs whatever. Um they had some video on them too, so they were DVDs. And he had the the basic And then the advanced and then another advanced set. And I had purchased all of them and I watched them. But one of the more striking things that just kept coming back to me after listening to that show with Michael and you yesterday was this Tillman physicist, a hard science physicist, turning his expertise toward the realization that there's a lot more going on here then we can measure with our, our scientific instruments, right? Yep. And, and one of the things he said was that this thing that we call the vacuum of space, empty space, is not empty. And he said, if you take the end, the, uh, a, a, a part, uh, the volume that would be contained from the end of your thumb... From that knuckle to the Mm -hmm. tip of your thumb, you know, something like one cubic centimeter or whatever. If you took that amount of what they call empty space, he said, the energy potential in that area contains more energy than all the mass in the known universe.
0: Holy mackerel.
2: And so that is just a mind-blowing statement right but there's math to back it up here's a hard science physicist saying that and he's not trying to get you to go do the math he's just using that statement to help us expand our perception to open to the idea that we cannot possibly know all the stuff that we don't know okay so that same guy they were asking him is this EFT tapping valid right and he said look the criticisms I hear about this most often are that when somebody sits with a client and they steps them and they step them through it and and they they ask them this question or that question or they ask them how does this feel or that feel and, tap to release this, saying these words. or that, And then that same person goes to somebody else, and the other person who's another expert practitioner says, oh, I would have had you talk about this aspect or focus more on the feeling or focus more on this emotion, etc." Mm-hmm. And And the, the complaint from the audience was, so how can you say it's valid when all these different people who would work with this person would say different things and get different results?
4: Mm -hmm.
2: And so, so here's the hard science physicist that says this, we as individuals are energy fields and we radiate out our energy and it interacts with the people around us, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, whether we're consciously aware of it or not. So two people come together and they have this higher self that's tapped into this flow of what Einstein would call the intuitive mind, right? creativity the unconscious from young etc and tim hayes has his access to that through his history and his willingness to be open in the moment and whoever tim hayes is working with has their access to that from their traumas and their history and what they're willing to be open to in the moment so these two people come together and they're interacting and it's not just at the conscious logical level so you put Tim Hayes with somebody, and he listens to their problem. I want help with this, or relieving this symptom, or whatever. And Tim Hayes says, "Okay, I'll focus on this, and tap on that, and cancel this goal." And and another practitioner comes to work with the same person, and they say, "Oh no, what you really need to do is focus on this, and then tap on that goal." Mm. And and. and how could it be that one is right and one is wrong? And Tillman says, that just doesn't apply.
3: What you're mm-hmm. getting
2: is the synergy between these two people. And you could mm-hmm. have five different practitioners working with or giving you feedback on the same person, and, and they might get benefit from each of those five aspects because their intuitive energy and their energy field and their openness is interacting with the client or the, the the practitioners in blending in a way you just can't predict with the conscious logical mind. It reminds me of, of the, the psych prof we had in, in my graduate program. And he was a young, relatively young. He was in his forties, early forties. And, um, and he, he had been trained in the psychoanalytic field. And so um, he was he hit this portion of the course where he was talking about dream interpretation. And so what he did was he had three other people from three other orientations analyze one of his dreams. He mm-hmm. had his dream analyzed by a psychoanalytic person. He asked a gestalt person, and an Adlerian person and a Jungian person all to analyze the same dream. It was all typed up by him and sent to these people. And then these people showed up in the class to give their interpretation. And every interpretation made sense.
4: Mm.
2: And the person who had the dream said, I can see value in this presentation. I can see value in that presentation. I can see value in this interpretation. I can see value in that interpretation. It's not a right or wrong deal. It's a yes and situation. And so much of this stuff we're talking about can be, I believe, can be viewed to your benefit if you put on the filter yes and. And whenever you hear somebody say, no, that's wrong, and you feel the energy in their words and they're slamming a door, just be aware of that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? What? I, I don't know that that's right or wrong, but be aware of it. What is? And, and what's the benefit to me slamming a door and saying this is wrong and that's right? Maybe there's a little bit of value to be had in both approaches. hmm Maybe there's a lot to be had from both approaches. This other thing that, that came to me to talk about after listening to that show yesterday was whatever works is exactly like whatever else works. It doesn't matter how yeah. you dress it up. It doesn't matter what jargon you use. It doesn't matter what model of thinking you're using. If it's working to provide deep, lasting results, it's going to be fundamentally the same as everything else that works to provide deep, lasting results. So that that would be my feedback from, you know, and and I don't know that there's any benefit for you having... Anthony DeMello's book or having me read it again and you transcribe the words and then going to Michael and saying, here, Michael, heres I don't see the benefit. No, if Michael wants you. That wasn't, my, his intent. View,
0: that wasn't okay. my intent. There was something that was very healing about hearing how DeMello put it. And it didn't affect me at all that Michael disagreed because I think they're both right. It's just the wording it's it's you know it was just his particular it, way of saying it
2: right right and it's the, essentially the same message just like when yeah. when michael is 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 picking apart the readings from um michael singer and yeah. and and michael wants to say you know you're programming your mind the wrong way when you and because you're not using um pure completely accurate what michael rice would call regulatory speech and yet, the mm-hmm. essence of the message is the same. Michael mm-hmm. Singer is saying, you know, if I hold on to this or push that away with my mind energy, that's what's creating the turbulence or the upset or the samskaras within me.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: It's not yeah. It's not the flow of life itself that's causing the upset within me. And And when Michael Rice hears those words from Michael Singer or from you know, Anthony DeMello through Susan Bingham, Michael Rice um, bristles and shuts down and clamps down and and, and jumps on a word or a phrase. If he could soften and breathe, if you as the listener can soften and breathe and think through the filter, yes, and, I think what you'll find is Guy Finley is saying the same thing as Michael Singer is saying the same thing as Dr. Michael Rice is saying the same thing as Byron Katie, and the list goes on. Mm. Is saying the same thing as Tara Brock and Ganga G and etc. And for the most part, Christian Sundberg, and Thomas W. Campbell, et cetera. So the idea is all of these things are happening in this flow of life, but the impact on me is what's important because Mm -hmm. the flow of life is going to interact with, stir up, You know, it's going to be the active force that hits the passive force in me, and 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 using the Guy Finley terminology, and then all of a sudden, here's this sense of myself and this impulse to react a certain way that didn't even exist a minute ago or a moment ago, and now all of a sudden, here's this flood of energy and identification and tension and. Righteous indignation or rage or shame or guilt. And that dynamic that's producing that within me is what I need to focus on and release, cancel, shebag, breathe through, right. allow, accept, embrace, trust, etc., So I applaud you for the work you did yesterday for your willingness to stay with that despite the uh, the refutations that you were offered and, and you know pick out what was useful for you in that process right and and when yeah and in one point where you were trying to get Michael to understand that you were agreeing and that you were looking yeah. at the internal process, and mm-hmm. th- that's what's important. His response to that is not as important as, as your settling into it.
0: Mm. Yeah, I understand that he's tr- he's got this radio show and he's trying to present his work. And if there's an opportunity, like a little springboard, to make one of the points that he teaches, I understand why why he'll jump in, but sometimes I feel as if I'm an unwitting guinea pig, <laughs> unintended guinea pig, um, because I haven't finished my sentence or something.
2: Yeah, so and so I congratulations can... to you for staying the course to get what is of value for you out of that interaction.
0: And it was extremely helpful, really. Knock on wood, my
2: energy is back.
0: Knock on wood because you never know, but uh, I think the thing that amazed me the most is just the idea that I might be sitting on some, in this case, anger, frustration, already started the healing process without even doing any worksheets. And then, of course, the worksheets were a piece of cake. There it all was. But I was three months bragging around, telling Tim Bingham, I can't do the rest of this walk. I've got to go lie down. I mean, this is not like me. And so um, it was both hours were just like for me it was,
2: well, oh, one thanks. of the well, one of the critical things from you know your interaction with Michael yesterday was that you were willing to come right out and say, and this you know to me this speaks of the deep honesty that's required for any of us to really make fundamental shift and change, and you said. You know, I feel like I want to strangle this guy.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: that's a level of honesty that's required. That is not a pretty thing. That is not a spiritually enlightened no. perspective. That is not, you know, who who you want to be. That's not, you know, those kinds of thoughts. Most people won't let themselves. Um, even be aware of consciously, even though they're running at the subconscious level, much less speak them out loud. You know, write them down, put them on a worksheet, make them real in that way. What?
0: Yeah. Do you remember, I mean, it was weeks or maybe months ago, I was complaining about the same person with the same issues. And you did an amazing thing. You said, you know, if you keep telling this, you're going to find a lot of sympathy. People are going to agree with you, and they're going to say, yeah, yeah, you're justified. And I've never forgotten that because it co- coincides perfectly with letter H of, in the five-step rice wake-up sheet with your detailed processing. It says, I keep repeating the idea I cancel my need to be right and refuse to make up another image or story based on my brain content reality to prove that I am right. And I'm still doing that. I'm still proving I'm right. I still have an issue. I can still get sympathy from people and saying, oh, my God, how could you do that? And you're so good to do that. And I can get that. That led and me to why... three months of, yeah? Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. And why, why would we do that?
0: We the don't only want to face we would,
2: exactly <laughs> yeah. we're hiding from something inside of us, exactly
0: absolutely,
2: and one of the things that you stumbled across in the show content with Michael yesterday was, I don't want to be open. I don't want to face honestly the turbulence, the pain, the fear, the sadness the fear of getting damaged or hurt that's inside me. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Michael used the term vulnerable and vulnerability and of course when I talk about this I like to say openness because the vulnerability implies that you could be hurt and the core of these teachings is that the I, who you are, can't be hurt.
0: Oh, that's a great point.
2: That's True,
0: that's true and so, that's really and good. so it,
2: so it really isn't stepping into vulnerability, it is stepping into openness
0: you know and, I
2: needed the word vulnerability to
0: to get there, I mean, you're right. I can see that now, that I am holding a belief that I am vulnerable. And I'm holding it right up until now when you say another word that would be better is openness. I needed vulnerability as a stepping stone, but it isn't a healthy word. It isn't a true word.
2: Well, sure, because when you say I needed it, what we're saying is, I've got this pattern of thought. I've got this training and conditioning for definition of words and meanings and, and you know these realities in Michael Rice's language, not, not the actuality of life, but the realities that I have created, the belief systems that I've created and I cling to, and I have yeah. to dismantle them. And so Mm -hmm. you know, when you say I needed the word vulnerability, it was so you could start to see what is it that you've been attributing to that word. And and so then if you dismantle that because you see it as false, then what's underneath it? Well, the actuality is, and at another level, I've experienced that who I am, my true nature, is the same as it was when I was 5 years old and 15 and 25 and 35, etc. But my body sure hasn't been... My education level hasn't stayed the same. My life experiences haven't been the same. So all of that stuff, my body, my education, my life experiences, that's not who I am. The essence mm-hmm. of who I am can't be hurt. Oh, so the word vulnerable doesn't apply to my essence. The
4: mm-hmm. word
2: vulnerable applies to who I think I am and all of my thoughts about myself and my need in quotes, my need, close quotes, to present a certain image, right? But then you step out of that need when you get basically fundamentally honest, like on the Internet show or in talking to somebody else when you're doing your work and you say, I want to strangle this person Mm
4: -hmm. who is
2: so weak, who is so without resources, who is such... Who is in such a physically vulnerable state?
4: Mm-hmm. Right,
2: because there the word vulnerable can apply because physically I can I can take injury. Mm-hmm. Right. In in terms of the physical body, it is possible for it to be injured or to cease functioning. Yeah. But mm-hmm. at that ultimate level of who I am, the word vulnerable doesn't apply. Openness can apply. Will I be wide open with the truth of my thoughts, the truth of my experience, the truth of my emotions? Will I understand that that is not my essence and that these things that have happened to me do not define me? So there were these, go ahead. Wow, what?
0: Well, I'm thinking about the person that I've been thinking about, and the fact is he isn't vulnerable either. Can I, I want to convince myself or remember that he isn't either. I'm putting something on him that isn't true about his essence either. Maybe I've gotten too far about, away from what we're talking about. but
2: No, the essence of it is, is why would you do that? Because you're running from focusing on you. So when you bring the essence back to you mm-hmm. and you say, listen, if I'm generating any kind of a negativity or tension, it's because I'm trying to avoid facing something or mm-hmm. the truth of what things are. Mm. So here's this summary of these four points that I was reading about yesterday with Anthony DeMello. He says, put this program into action a thousand times. Step one, identify the negative feelings in you. Step two, mm-hmm. understand that they are in you, not in the world, not in external reality. Number three, Do not see them as an essential part of, quote, I, close quotes, because these things come and go. The essence of you does not. And step four, understand that when you change, everything changes. What you look Mm -hmm. at changes. When you change, what is looking?
4: Mm.
2: That's an element of
0: trust right there to actually allow do the 30 steps and understand and believe that when I change, everything will change because it's got to. (laughs) Yeah. well.
4: Well,
2: here's this summary from the fourth step. A little bit earlier in that book, he says... We always want something else to change and someone else to change so that we will feel good. Mm
4: -hmm. But has it
2: ever struck you that even if your wife changes or your husband changes and does what you want, you're just as vulnerable as before? You're just as idiotic as before? You're just as asleep as before? You are the one who needs to change who needs to take medicine. You keep Mm. insisting, well, I feel good because the world is right. And he says Mm. with an exclamation point, wrong. The world is right because I feel good. That's what all the mystics are saying. The upset is within me. How many times did Michael Rice interrupt you and step on your words yesterday to say, this person is not frustrated because of that. This person is not anxious because of that. You are not because of this. Right? The only reason you feel this anxiety is because you have the thoughts that generate anxiety inside of you.
4: hmm
2: It's the same message to my eye and ear. It's yes and.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: It's not as useful for me to say, no, that's a horrible idea. No, that's definitely wrong. (laughs) Yeah. It's more useful to say yes and.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good.
2: And the story with the crocodile you remember that story with the rabbit and the crocodile and the boy and there's so many wonderful layers there's so many wonderful Mm -hmm. layers well the boy comes across a crocodile is caught in a snare and the crocodile convinces him to let him go saying you know i'm only here to try and get food for my babies and i would never and so the boy you know loosens a leg or whatever and the crocodile grabs him yeah and and the crocodile says, hey, this is just the nature of life, blah, 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 all this bad stuff's going to happen. And then he says, you know, y- you want to ask somebody else, ask the bird, ask the squirrel, ask the rabbit, et cetera. And so finally, you know, it's, it's like any other parable. There are layers and layers of yeah. learning you can take from this because, mm-hmm. you know, it reminds me of, of – the story of the person who's walking along the beach and there are thousands, if not hundreds, if not thousands of starfish that have been washed up on the beach. Mm. And the little boy is going by and picking them up one at a time and throwing them back out into the water. And an adult comes by and says, what are you doing? And the boy says, "I'm, I'm saving these starfish. He says, oh, come on what you're doing isn't going to make any difference there's hundreds of them here and the little boy says it makes a difference to this one and he flings it back in the water
0: yeah love it
2: that's that's the same story that i get out of this crocodile business with the hare and the and the boy and mm. so you know it's in this moment can i choose to extend love in this moment, can I act from my true nature? Can I, can I do what the ancient Aramaic definition of faith is? Acting from the rooted center of your being. So how do you act from the rooted center of your being? You've got to first get in touch with the rooted center of your being. Bring your conscious um, awareness to your true nature as love and then let the truth of life and the truth of your, your true nature generate your action. And believe it or not, because so few of us have actual experience with this, there's not a whole lot of thought involved in that. I don't need to think so much. I need to be awake and aware and let the truth of life act on me, to quote Krishnamurti or paraphrase him. Get in touch with your true nature Get calm, get centered, get grounded, get rooted in the truth of life. Way of Mastery says, the truth that is true always, that you remain as your creator created you to be. And I have, uh, my mind keeps telling me that's exactly the same message Dr. Michael Rice would say, regulatory speech or not, from The Course in Miracles and Michael's teaching from the Kabor's Manuscript. So mm. breathe and soften and try the yes and filter just to see how well it works for you. My hunch is it'll work better than the oh no that's horrible. Oh no that's wrong.
0: <laughs> Believe me I didn't I didn't take it that way. I really just it all I did the both and I think yes and
2: Yeah, Yeah. I I think you did. And that's how you got so much out of that work yesterday.
0: Now, there's one thing that Golas says, and it's just the way he says it. But he says something like, if you think you're good, just remember that you're equally bad. He says it in a much better way. But it's sort of as if he's saying, Keep in mind the whole of yourself, the part that wants to strangle and the part that wants to be loving and then choose the loving part without denying the existence of the other. I find that just helpful and consoling and appealing and it's the only way to go because the strangler is in there. And I'm not sure that strangler is ever going to not be there.
2: Well, what gets resonated for me when you say that is the idea of noticing your judgment and releasing it or canceling it whether you're judging something as good or something as bad, it still takes you out of the flow of life to judge and label.
0: I don't think I'm doing that. I'm just saying I'm aware. No, I'm,
2: I'm, 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 I'm saying that you're not doing that, but that's what this, this quote or this talk you're citing from Golas brings to my mind. When he says, when you think you're good, remember, the other is there too. You're not yeah. just one thing, and if I judge okay. myself as good, it's like I'm taking a Polaroid picture of this action scene and saying, "Look, here's what happened." But this whole scene right. is unfolding for you know half an hour, or twenty minutes, or your whole life, and you take a Polaroid of it. That's not the thing. But when you judge yourself as right, or as bad, as good, or whatever, it's like taking a Polaroid and saying, "Here, this is this is the person." It's not the yeah. person. It's it's a right. momentary picture of this dynamic flow.
0: Right. That's true.
2: So you might say, okay, yes, that's that person and <laughs>
4: in the next and, moment.
2: Right. <laughs> Yes, and in the next moment, they may not be feeling so generous and loving. Right. And their only good um, course of action to to move to be more loving and generous and compassionate is to acknowledge that tension or upset or judgment or anger and work to dismantle the roots of it. But I can't work to dismantle the roots of something that I'm denying even exists.
0: Right. It's quite a relief to allow the full spectrum and not have to be rid of it.
3: Well,
2: I would go for relief every time you can find it, unless it's rooted <laughs> in denial. Unless it's rooted yeah. in denial, in which case it's not really relief.
0: Yeah. No, no, I didn't mean it as that kind of relief. It's just the responsibility of getting rid of a dark part of oneself. To me, myself, I, I can't do it. And so it's much better to do a golas, which says... Here I am, the whole <laughs> the whole mess. And I'm aware of the whole mess, and then from the mess I can make my choices about how I'm going to respond to a situation or a person. And hope I hope that I will choose the better way. But it isn't like saying, "Aren't I wonderful?" No. It's just the better way for the moment. you're a good egg Dr. Tim you hang it takes in. one to know one
2: it takes one to know one oh. Oh, no, it's thanks. all. Uh, Michael Rice would say it's all smoke and mirrors
4: <laughs>
2: this whole this whole thing we were just reading there's a portion from Anthony DeMello book that I have highlighted that says, and this is like right out of Michael Rice and Guy Finley, and it says, we see people and things not as they are, but as we are.
0: That is why
2: when two people look at something or someone, you get two different reactions. We see things and people Not as they are, but as we are. So you look at me or anybody else and you say, you're a good egg. What that means is you can see resonance to that part of you. Mm -hmm. It's like the story from Guy Finley where the person has all the problems when they get to the new kingdom and they go complaining to the minister and the minister says, hey, are you looking out your window in the right way? And the person says, what do you mean? And the minister says, like I told you when I brought you to this kingdom and gave you the tour of your house. In this kingdom, in order to see anything accurately, truthfully, you must first see yourself in whatever you're looking at. Mm. Yeah. And that's exactly the same message from the Anthony DeMello reading I was doing yesterday where he says... You've gotta be listening to yourself when you think you're listening to someone else because if you're not, remember the example he gave of the the recording that he took to the the class he did where everybody was giving him feedback, and they said so why did you ask this question? He says, I didn't ask a question. Remember that?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And they're going back and forth. And he says, I know I didn't ask a question. And then the teacher says, well, why don't we listen to the tape? And there's this whopping big question, (laughs) right? And he says, it's amazing because I heard it at least three times. I probably heard it when I said it. I heard it when I reviewed the tape for the class, and I heard it in the class. But it never got in that I was asking a question. I wasn't listening to myself. I wasn't tuned Mm -hmm. into my emotional internal state, which, of course, Mm -hmm. is a huge, huge contributor to every perception I create. It's all an inside job. So we have... uh, about seven minutes left we got quite a few people on the call anybody want to put up a hand and give a comment or a question or clarification or answer 563-999-3581 if you call that number and press one we can have a little chat for a few minutes and give give susan a break because she's already worked all day yesterday on the show and worked today on the show and last night in the support group we we um we did this really deep spiritual dive we watched the movie the princess bride
0: um. <laughs>
2: are you familiar with that movie Susan Bingham
0: No, and I've got to go see it again because it's that deep.
2: (laughs) I saw it a million years ago. It's humor. We did it for the humor effect. We have people that are facing things in their lives for which there is no immediate answer, and they all know the tools, and it just seemed like the better medicine would be laughter than deep spiritual diving and worksheets, and so I offer that as what, to my eye and ear, is extraordinarily valuable and valid, even though somebody else who says, hey, this is supposed to be a a support group for these tools and deep spiritual growth and learning, and they might say, well, what are you doing, watching a comedy movie? (laughs) Okay. Well, we were using the laughter of medicine. We were doing good self-care. We were doing, okay, let's talk for about an hour about how challenging these things are in people's lives and remind them, okay, you know how you might have this tool or that tool. And then rather than beating the dead horse... (laughs) or putting somebody on the spot to start doing worksheets since the intensity level was so high. Let's have a good laugh. Let's relax. Mm-hmm. Let's and so that's what we did. Okay. For the last hour and fifteen of the of the support group. And so I offer that as a um a modeling for people. Um self care is so important you should actually schedule it put it on your to-do list if it's not a natural part of your daily life yet and like you know what's his name cousins put out in his book you know, oh yeah it's it's good it's good medicine to laugh
0: right that's so true
2: to lighten up So, any closing comments from you?
0: No, that was that was good. I did do a pile of worksheets, and I'm going to report to Michael in the next hour. Um, it it really became very obvious very fast where this was all heading. <clears throat>
2: Well, I'm glad you found it useful. Did it is it is the as they say, it's the undeniable and the unstoppable benefit of doing your work.
0: I love that list you use uh, um, when you're describing the tools accessible, uh, you have a, a little string of words you always use.
2: <laughs> what are they yeah, again? Yeah. I say these are the some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. Yeah. Yep. And I say accessible because they're offered for free on the Internet with mm-hmm. hundreds if not thousands of hours of support audio and... yeah. And the, the the benefit to this, you know, to, to seeing these things clearly, is that while it's real pain in the butt from the Western mind perspective that no one can heal me, cure me, or rescue me, the flip side is the huge blessing that no one can stop me from seeing my true nature, letting go of what doesn't serve me, welcoming, yeah. healing, and integration, etc. And that's what you've been stepping into. So congratulations. Thanks. All right. I will thank you once again for your call, and I'll mute you so you can listen to the next hour, and Jeannie can turn on your microphone when she's ready for that. I will remind us all that we come from love, we're made of the stuff we call love, we actually are love and everything else is false and I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Welcome
1: Jeannie. Hi, thank you Dr. Tim. I appreciate it.
2: You're welcome and deserving, have a wonderful show.
1: Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is Wednesday, July the 5th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press one, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. And I see... I heard Susan say she was going to talk during the second hour, so I'm going to go ahead and turn your microphone back on. And Michael is dialing in right now.
0: So how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. Energy is still here.
3: Welcome.
0: Did Good. Hey, hey. I did four wake-up sheets, which isn't a huge amount, but, boy, uh, they were good. And... Um, the radio shows, both of them, Dr. Tim's and yours, were just a huge help yesterday. So, um,
3: I think the Anything most... Anything to share about your work sheets?
0: Sure. I mean, it, I don't know how interesting it is to but it all, you know, there's one place in one of the, I think it's the Walzac worksheet. He says, is this a familiar feeling? Is this the first time I have felt this feeling? Every feeling is something I have felt before, either in utero or from ages one through eight. And that was a wonderful door opener, because I thought, okay, good. I don't have to think about last month or a year ago. I'm going to go to that early time. And then there it all was, the whole deal. Um, I've told you much about this before. I have a younger sister who has been dependent. Uh, Tim's been paying her rent for years uh, before that, she lived on a um, an IRA that my mother set up, never believing that my sister would live as long as she's living. And the IRA ran out about 10 years ago. My sister has been in poor health. A lot of it is due to poor choices she made. And I have been so angry at her for so long. And not looking at it, so intolerant and judgmental. To this day, I can tell the stories and work up my dander, you know, and feel like strangling her. But she's the one I've been wanting to strangle my whole life. And our person in the house is a lot like her in some ways. So it's much more convenient to put all the stuff on him and not face the real issue the wake up sheets have all been about her. I, I did one on, on Michael, our tenant but it very quickly went to my sister and the, the thing that I've been doing over and over and over with my sister and with, and with Michael and probably everybody else is in the, it's verbalized in the Tim Hayes detailed processing of your Five-step wake-up sheet where he says, um, "I keep repeating the idea, I cancel my need to be right, and refuse to make up another image or story based on my brain content/slash reality to prove that I am right. In my case, right about Michael, right about my sister." And I generate these stories and the temptation to generate permutations of this story. If I get rid of one uh, image of helplessness or whatever or manipulation or lying or whatever I think I see the other person doing, um, I'll make up another one to keep the denial going and the anger justified. And then because I've had a person living in the house, to whom I have to be civil and kind and understanding. That's when it all started. This guy moved in eight months ago, and that's when I started getting tired. You told me to look at the calendar. I blamed it on COVID, but it's not COVID. It hasn't been COVID. It's been much earlier than that. Sitting on judgment, rage, misplaced, God, I've got work to do, but it's sitting right in front of me, and the thing is, I'm so excited. I feel so glad to have this out out in body.
3: That's powerful. Yeah. Well, and you remember that the purpose of words which come from, according to The Course of Miracles, the world of darkness rules. They're symbols of symbols. Can't speak the mm-hmm. truth. But the purpose is to simply deny in, quote, words the world of darkness understands, unravel and recognize the unreality, the untruth that we're telling.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And the next untruth I'm going to ask you to look at is that you ever were angry at your sister. You've never been angry with your sister. You, me, nobody has ever been angry with anyone. We're just angry. Yeah, okay. And notice your focal point is assisting the young people in your world To end their addiction and there's an old saw that says we teach best that which we most need to learn I think it was Richard Bach in his book illusions Mm -hmm. so it's time to end your addiction to anger and it's huge it's a big one I'm going to suggest once again I don't know if you ever watched it or if you or if we showed it at the intensive you were at at Heartland a few years back but watch the film thank you for sharing
0: I did see it yep I could look again so, though.
3: so in the context of this conversation recognizing that your drug is anger
0: yeah
3: Mm-hmm. and we could probably put judgment in the same category okay watch it with that perspective and notice you know that that anger, I mean, to me the the power of this film, and actually I need to watch again too. It's been a couple of years. The power of this film is that they capture a number of people throughout the film. There's a whole group of people who are addicted to different things, sex, and uh, that's actually the primary, you know, thing that's focused on is sex addiction, but alcohol and drugs. But the thing right. they capture, yeah, is that when anger isn't enough to keep the pain hidden that they don't want to deal with that's when they turn to the substance when the internal substance of anger isn't enough of an anesthetic that's when they turn to the external addictive substance
0: Say and again, Michael
3: yes the power of that film and I don't know whether they knew what they were doing, or it was accidental, or it's because it's just so, so obvious in the, addicted, in the addiction world. But in each case where one of the people in the film is getting ready to fall off the wagon, getting ready to go back to their substance of choice, right they demonstrate that before they go to their substance before they actually fall off the wagon into what the world calls their you know their alcoholism or their addiction to pills their addiction to rage or their addiction to sex each one of them goes to anger that's their first drug of choice it's an Uh internally produced drug and then when that's not enough of an anesthetic when they can't keep the pain and that's with that that's when they turn to a substance (laughs) So when you start, you know, as your um, your grandson shared with you, I know that I have to follow a routine in order not to turn to my addictive substance again. I know that I can't use ever again,
2: and therefore
3: I'm going to keep up the routines that I need in order to maintain my sobriety. My offering is that's your challenge in regard to anger. You've got to stop being a user. Yeah. And you've got to devise yourself a program, and you might ask your grandson to support you in designing a program that will empower you to give up that addiction.
0: How would he do that?
3: he'll share with you what his sponsor shared with him and how you do it. Okay. He did it with alcohol. And, you know, notice that the day of the wedding, when there was so much going on, you said, and you shared this with us yesterday, you said to him, well, why don't you just let it go for a day? And he's like, I can't do that. I know that to stay sober, I have to keep up my program. And so by acknowledging that it I, I can see it opening a huge space for him on a new level. To share with him that you've discovered that you have an addiction that you've been using. Maybe yeah. you've even at times turned it on him. I don't know. Maybe Thank God you know has that ever happened with Jacob?
0: No, it
3: hasn't. Good. Awesome. Anyway, he's gone through and designed a program with the help of a sponsor. And so I would suspect that asking your grandson to sponsor you, to support you in creating a program that will keep you free would be very powerful for him. And it would be very powerful Mm -hmm. for your whole family system.
0: I'll
3: do that when I talk to him. I will. To me, that cue that The Course in Miracles gives us is nobody can ever be tired. It's not possible.
0: <laughs> I but love carrying
3: it. the burden. Carrying the burden. Nobody can do. It's going to wipe out and wear out everybody. Yeah. And literally, ultimately, is the only cause of death that there is. If you go back and look at the scriptures with man death began, this is what created death. So when we can look at it at that level, the whole new level of healing happens. The purpose of pain, to make our ears grow, to point us mm-hmm. in the direction of looking within at what do I need to embrace inside of me, not what do I need to embrace in the world. When I'm able to embrace what the world triggers in me that I've hidden from myself, I'm going to just naturally be the presence of love in the world. That's just what's going to be, no matter what the atrocity is, no matter what the crazy is. I'm just going to naturally be the presence of love for that. I want to have to work at embracing it. You know, whether it's the warmonger or the plight of the refugee or the, you know, um, insane use of plastics. I'll just be the presence of love for that. And out of that space of love, I'll know exactly the corrective action to take to bring healing to that in the world. But until I've embraced what's in me that I've dissociated from, that becomes my guide. I, I substitute that via a projected construct called perception that separates me from the actual world that the greater created for us. People, once they get past the age of four or five, never visit the creator's world. Never visit the world of actuality. They're totally, completely locked into the world of perception. And you remember that lesson from the Course. What is the world? The world is false perception. It will remain no longer than the thought that gave it birth is cherished. When you no longer have use for anger, you'll touch into the thought underneath it. When you heal the thought underneath it, then you'll, having embraced that Underlying energy, you'll simply be vitalized physiologically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually by the simple fact that the Creator put the breath of life in you. And that's what life is. is the movement of love through ourselves. What moves in me that I need to embrace to return to that? So I'm excited for you, I'm excited for your family system, I'm excited that you've shared this with us so that everybody who's listening or will ever listen, in fact I'm going to talk with Jeannie and we'll probably put yesterday's show together with this conversation and make it one of the special shows because it's so powerful, so right on track, so thank you for your willingness.
0: Thanks for the guidance. It was a huge help.
1: Yeah.
3: Honored. Honored deeply to have the opportunity and in deep gratitude to Yeshua for creating the process that brings such awakening to us into the world.
0: I feel as if what's going to be needed now is acute vigilance because my habit of making up another story to justify my position is just huge. I'm really good at it.
3: Becoming the thinker apart from the thought? the feeler apart mm-hmm. from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions. Being able to observe your own perceptual mind and the self mm-hmm. that is a product of your perception is, the the power of that is beyond comprehension.
0: And denial would include thinking that I'm no longer that person that can do that. Oh, and that isn't true. I I like the idea that Thaddeus Gulas says that if you think you're good, remember you are the opposite. I had a dream once when Nixon, poor old Nixon, Richard Nixon, was under terrible scrutiny and flailing around. And I was very angry at him and went to sleep and had a dream that he was across a room. And I was trying to get to him to tell him, that I'm just like him. It was a really amazing revelation to know that I have a Richard Nixon living in me, whatever was dishonest in him. Somehow the dream was showing me that that's my garbage too. And I would just like to be able to keep the full spectrum in mind in every interaction Although when you're in the refugee center or something equivalent, you don't really need to do all that. But out in the world, I'm afraid I'll just be making up more stories and justifying my position than going back into my junk and getting pooped. Don't want to go there again.
3: So you're getting ready to go there again? Good acknowledgement for yourself.
0: Okay, I stand corrected.
3: What do you want to do? I want I mean, to be really focused. detailed. Yeah.
0: What do I want to do?
3: Write a vision statement. Write a vision statement. Remember, without okay. vision, my people perish. Write a vision statement for what exactly in detail that's going to look like. All right. Okay. And then, you know, think about Nixon or plastic, Mm -hmm. or any of the other political operatives that are running around the world doing what they're doing. What Mm -hmm. I can't hold a space of active love for is my work.
0: That is true. Mm -hmm.
3: What I allow to rip me off for the presence of love in me is what I have not yet forgiven from my heart yeah so ultimately that guide that says you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother it's not a leading heart statement it's i have to go into my unconscious and remove what i have projected into my brain's image of anyone or anything and that takes being eternally vigilant because it can sneak up so easily so subtly
0: Absolutely. And be so
3: justifiable. hmm After all, isn't everybody upset about this? Yeah. Because nobody's ever been upset about anything. There's just upset in them. And when they give it up, then the presence of love that brings healing to the circumstance. And it sounds like your kitten agrees.
0: He does. He comes around when you're talking, Michael. He comes up and he
3: starts yakking. <laughs> well, have a conversation with the cat. What fun.
0: <laughs> he, he's a good boy. He's a very fine animal. Yes. Well, I, thank you very much. I don't have much to say. It's just the ball is rolling and uh, it's ongoing. And... Um, I just thanks. Sure, I feel as if I've been released from something I couldn't find my way out of.
3: And you might want to take ownership of that. You have released something.
0: Hmm.
3: Now you know, I've been released is is disowning again. Okay. And so the propensity to disown any state of mind is probably another 77 times 70 worksheets that you'll do.
0: All right. I see.
3: Including the healed, magnificent state of mind that is the mind of Christ that is yours. In you. Mm. To be willing to own that is monumental as well because we've Mm. been purposely beat down by power persons, by governments, by kings. It's an old kings thing to beat people down so that they always, no matter what, there's always a chain to yank to pull them back into slavery. Yeah. So while there's a challenge in owning our hate, our fear, our rage, our guilt, our grief, Probably the bigger challenge is owning your magnificence and the Mm. truth about you. As a created human essence called love, that might be the most challenging one for most people. So we're here to join with you and share with you in doing that next level of work. Mm-hmm. And enjoying the aliveness that goes with it. Mm-hmm. And knowing that you can do that all the way up into and through all of eternity. And make it to the New Year's Eve Party at... And 4949 in
4: forty nine, forty nine at Hartman. <laughs> right.
3: So breathing with you, young lady.
0: Thanks, Michael.
3: You are more than welcome and deserving. Mm-hmm. As Dr. Tim would say.
0: Yes, he does.
3: Cool. Well, any other thoughts?
0: Not at the moment,
3: thanks. Well, I'm going to look up and watch uh, the. Uh, Thank you for sharing the again. Thank you for
0: sharing. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe if you get the chance to do that, we can talk about it a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I'd like to. And I did so listen to it's... the replay of yesterday. <laughs> it was quite entertaining. <laughs> You're a good sport being yelled at. <laughs>
3: Go for it.
1: Yeah. And there, let me just put in. It's thanks for sharing, and I put a link to the um, the movie uh, in the notes oh, today. So- there is another movie called Thank You for Sharing, but this one's oh, thanks Thank for You, Sweetie.
0: <laughs> okay,
3: mm-hmm, thank you, Sweetie.
0: Good going.
3: Thank, you for, thank you for sharing that out. is it a freebie on on youtube Any chance or
1: um no uh, what I put in there was the I, uh, IMDB title um, right let me look here thanks for sharing You can watch it on mat. With Prime Video, more watch options. You can, if you have a Mac subscription, Prime Video subscription. So it looks like it's an Amazon movie right now, unless you buy it. It's
3: it's also... It's also on. Uh, you can buy it or rent it on uh, YouTube as well.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So it's three. It's uh, three ninety nine for high definition
4: oh,
3: rental. So awesome! Well, nice work, young lady. That's just fabulous.
0: Thank you so much, Michael.
3: All right, we appreciate you. Have a blessed one. Thanks. Me too. All righty. It's in the plan. Well, Miss Jeannie, we're almost halfway through the show already. Do we have anybody else yeah, in the phone queue you- with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room?
1: No. Yinka's with me in the chat room. Uh, there are no other hands up. If somebody presses one, you're first in line. Otherwise, unless, Michael, you've got something else, I will start reading in the next chapter.
3: Let's go for it. And hi to Yinka. Glad you're with us.
1: Yeah. So we are reading out of Michael Singer's The Untethered Soul and we're all the way to chapter 12. And it's titled Taking Down the Walls. At some point in your growth, it starts to become quieter and this happens quite naturally as you take a deeper seat within yourself. You then come to the to realize that though you have always been in there, you have been completely overwhelmed by the constant barrage of thoughts, emotions, and sensory inputs that draw on your consciousness. As you see this, it begins to dawn on you that you might actually be able to go beyond all these disturbances. The more you sit in the seat of witness consciousness, the more you realize that since you are completely independent of what you are watching, there must be a way to break free of the magical hold that psyche has on your awareness. There must be a way out. The inner breakthrough to complete freedom is traditionally depicted by the overused and generally misunderstood term enlightenment. The problem is that our views of enlightenment are either based upon our personal experiences or upon their limited conceptual understanding. Since most people have never had experiences in this realm, the state of enlightenment, enlightenment is either scoffed at completely or viewed as the ultimate mystical state accessible to almost no one. It's safe to say that the only thing most people know for sure about enlightenment is that they are not there. However, with the understanding that thoughts emotions, and sensory objects are simply passing before your consciousness, it becomes reasonable to question whether your sense of awareness need be limited to this experience. What if consciousness were to remove its focus from your personal set of thoughts, your personal set of emotions, and your limited sensory input? Would you become untethered from the bonds of the personal self and be set free to explore beyond? And how exactly did consciousness become bound to the personal self to begin with? The problem with even attempting to consider these questions is that they call for a discussion of what exists beyond the confines of the mind. Obviously, there, that discussion is very difficult to have from within the mental structure we are so accustomed to using. For this reason, we will begin exploring the untethered state through the use of an allegory. Much like Plato used dialogue to tell his allegory of the cave in 360 BC, we will use a short story to tell our allegory of a very special house. Imagine you found yourself in the midst of an open field where the sun was always shining. It was a beautiful place of green great light, and great openness. It was so beautiful that you decided you wanted to live there, the land. And right in the middle of the enormous field, you began personally designing and building the house of your dreams. You put down a solid foundation because you wanted the house to be very strong and to last a long time. You built the house out of concrete blocks so that you wouldn't have any problems with decaying or leaking make the house ecologically sound, you decided to put in very few windows and build a roof with lots of overhang. After you put in the windows and the house was complete, you realized that a lot of heat still came in. So in, you installed high-quality protective shutters that not only reflected sunlight and heat back to the outside, but also could be locked down for security purposes. It was a very large house that could store enough supplies to allow for complete self-sufficiency. You even built separate quarters for a quiet acquaintance who would keep the house clean and leave you to be in solitude. In solitude it would be because your romantic quest included a commitment to no phones, radios, televisions, or internet connections. Your house was finally finished and you were very excited to be living out there. You loved the openness of the fields and all the light and the beauty of nature, but most of all, you were enamored with the house. You had put your heart and soul into every aspect of the design, and it showed. It was truly you. In fact, over time, between your infatuation with the house and your growing discomfort with all the strange sights and sounds outside, you started spending more time indoors. Then that you realized that with the shutters and the doors fully locked down, the house actually began to feel like a fortress. And this was just fine with you. Being a city person, it was pretty scary living so far out in touch, so far out of touch in total isolation, but you were committed to making it your own, making it on your own. So you gradually became accustomed to living safely within the confines of your house. You happily went about your business of reading and writing as you had always longed to do. It was actually quite comfortable in there since it was fully climate-controlled and you had been wise enough to install a modern, full-spectrum lighting system. Ironically, you found your house so comfortable, enjoyable, and safe, you stopped thinking about the outside altogether. After all, the inside was familiar, predictable, and within the realm of your control. The outside was unknown, unpredictable, and completely out of your control. Your sense of inner sanctum, was supported by the fact that when the shutters and blinds were locked in place, they blended like paintings on the wall, and you never even considered risking going outside to unlock them. They were so well made that when the lights were turned off, it was absolutely pitch black, day or night. But since you were accustomed to never turning off the lights, you didn't notice this until they started burning out. It was only then that you realized your predicament. No one had left you replacement bulbs compatible with the new system. This meant that once the final light failed, you were left to find your way around the house in absolute darkness. From that point forward, the only light you had came from the few candles that you kept for emergencies. But there were very few of these, so you conserved them well. Being a person who loved light, this was very difficult for you. Yet, it was not difficult enough to force you to overcome the fears that you had developed about leaving the safety of your house. Eventually, the stress of living in this darkness took its toll on your health, both physically and mentally. With time, the very memory of the beautiful sunlit field began to fade from your mind, never to return again. You became very concerned about, being, about keeping the house lit. The only light you knew about was the light that you created in the darkness with your precious candles. It became pretty lonely in there. You were cut off from everything and the only comfort you felt was the sense of protection your house afforded you. You were no longer aware of exactly what you were afraid of. You were just aware of always being scared and uncomfortable. It was all you could do to just to try to hold yourself together. You even stopped reading and writing because of the lack of light. It was dark and you too were falling into darkness. Then one day, the housekeeper, who shared your overwhelming need to stay in the safety of the house, called you down to the storage cellar. You were amazed by what you saw. A full supply of emergency flashlights had been found that could be powered simply by shaking them. Your housekeeper had already set some up, and the cellar was fully radiant. This was a true turning point in your life. You set about your business of trying to create light and beauty and happiness within the confines of your house. You decorated each room and worked together to keep the light shining brightly until you went to sleep. You started reading and writing again. It turned out that your housemate loved reading your writings. In fact, it was not just the artificial lights that were lighting the house. The ember of love had begun to glow in both of your hearts. Imagine the light you could create together instead of apart. You began spending all of your time with each other, and you even staged a marriage ceremony. It was so beautiful as you vowed to take care of each other and bring love and light into your home. Compared to the darkness in which you had been living, this was heaven. One day you came across a book in your library. It interested you because it talked about the natural radiant light that exists outside. It even spoke of bathing in that light but it was talking about more light than you could ever imagine without anyone having to do anything to create it. This was confusing to you. After all, the only light you knew about was the artificial light from candles and flashlights. How could you make that much light and keep it going? You didn't have a clue what this book was talking about because you could only view things in relation to the way you were living. You were living inside the house, and therefore you were living inside the darkness. All the light that you could experience was limited to what you could create within the house. You had lived there for so long that all your hopes, dreams, philosophies, and beliefs were founded upon being inside that dark house. Your whole world was about keeping together the life you had managed to build for yourself within the confines of the house. When you continued reading this seemingly mystical book, it spoke of what it was like to actually walk around in the natural light. It seemed to be describing a self-luminous, omnipresent light that shines everywhere all at once. It was a light that falls on everything constantly and evenly. Though you had no frame of reference for understanding this, it touched something deep inside of you. The book then discussed actually going outside. That is going beyond the walls of the world that you had created for yourself. In fact, it said that while you are attached and enamored with the world you created to avoid darkness, you will never know the abundance of natural light that is beyond the confines of your house. How will you ever go outside when you are so dependent upon what you have built inside? The analogy of life inside this house is a perfect fit for our predicament. Our consciousness, our awareness of being is living deep inside of us in an artificially sealed off area. That is absolute. It has four walls, a floor, a roof. It's so solid that not one ray of natural light comes in. The only light we get is what we manage to create for ourselves. If we don't create good situations for ourselves, there's darkness. So we are very busy decorating deserts. We do this by trying to bring things in there with us, hoping to create at least a little light in the house of our own making where we have sealed ourselves off. That is the visual. You are inside a house totally sealed off from natural light. And the house is sitting in the middle of an open field full of brilliant light. But what is your house made of? What are your walls made of? How can they seal off all that light and keep you locked inside? Your house is made of your thoughts and emotions. The walls are made of your psyche. That's what that house is. It is all your past experiences, all your thoughts and emotions, all the concepts, views, opinions, beliefs, hopes, dreams that you have collected around yourself. You hold them in place on all sides, including above and below you. You have pulled together in your mind a specific set of thoughts and emotions, and then you have woven them together into a conceptual world in which you live. This mental structure completely blocks you from whatever natural light is on the outside of its walls. You have walls of thoughts thick enough and closed enough to where nothing but darkness is inside that structure. You are so entranced with paying attention to your thoughts and emotions that you never go beyond the borders they create. If you want to see how restrictive your walls are, just start start walking toward them. Let's say you have an emotional fear of heights. When you, you were young, you fell off a ladder and the impression stayed with you. That is one of your walls. If you doubt that it's a wall, let's see you walk through it. Let's say something happens that activates these old feelings of fear and you decide to walk right through them. The closer you get, the more you will have the urge to pull back. That which you collected from your past forms a boundary that you intuitively want to avoid. That's natural. That's what we do with walls. We avoid running into them. But because you avoid running into them, they lock you inside their perimeter. They become your prison because they are the boundaries of your awareness. Because you are not willing to approach them, you cannot see what is beyond them. And I can stop there or I can keep reading. Hello, Michael.
3: Am I mute button on. That's a, it's a good analogy. Yeah. Why don't we go ahead and, and finish it off?
1: Okay. So when you approach unless we the unless somebody in the areas, phone queue with a hand up. Oh, nobody has a hand up.
4: Let's go for it. And
1: I, I've only got pages anyway, so when you approach the barrier area of your thoughts and emotions, it feels like going into an abyss. You don't want to go near that place, but you can go there. And if you want to get out, you will go there. Eventually, you will realize that darkness is not what's really there. What is really there are the walls that are blocking the infinite light. When you're looking for light, that is a crucial distinction. If you see a wall and it's protecting you from unending darkness, you will not want to go there. But if you see a wall that is blocking the light, You will want to go there in order to remove the wall. It is often said that you must go through the darkest night in order to get to the infinite light. This is because what we call darkness is really the blockage of light. You must go past these walls. It's not really difficult to get past the walls. Time and again, every day, the natural flow of life collides within our walls and tries to tear them down. But time and again, we defend them. You must realize that when you defend yourself, you're really defending the wall. There is nothing else to defend in there. There is just your awareness of being and the limited house that you built to live in. What you are defending is the house you built to protect yourself. You are hiding inside. If something happens to challenge the walls of your psyche, you get highly defensive. You have built a self-concept moved inside, and now you defend the home with all you have. But what creates the inner home other than the walls of your thoughts? When you say, I'm a woman and I'm 45 years old, I'm married to Joe and I graduated from this school, those are thoughts. The actual situations don't exist in there with you except in the form of thoughts that you cling to. Another, but I was a cheerleader. I was president of my senior class. Well, that was 30 years ago. These situations don't exist anymore, but they exist inside of you. And they form the walls in which you live. What if somebody challenges your self-concept and breaks a little hole in it? What if somebody manages to shake one of those foundational thoughts that the house of your psyche is built upon? Imagine if someone told you when you were 20 years old, wait a minute, those are not your parents. You were adopted. Didn't they ever tell you? You would adamantly deny it until they showed you the documents. It would shake you up with your whole being, inner being. Just one wrong thought and the structure starts to crumble. Tremendous fear and turmoil can open up inside of you simply because something is not the way you thought it was. It shakes you to the core of your being because it challenges the house of thoughts in which you dwell. To fix this, you start end with your rational, rationalizations. I knew they were really nice. They were just like my real parents would have been. Imagine them adopting someone like me and bringing me up just like their own. Oh, they were more, even more special than I thought they were. You patched that hole up very well, and that's what we do with our walls. We keep them solid. Nothing is allowed to shake those walls. Notice you patch the cracking wall with your thoughts. You patched with thoughts that which is made of that which is made of thoughts, okay? Symbols of symbols. That's what we do, just like the people who fearfully locked themselves inside the dark house in the middle of a sunlit field and then struggled to create some kind of light. We work hard to build a world within the confine, confine, confines of our inner walls that is better than the inner darkness. We decorate our walls with the memories of our past experiences, with the dreams of our future. In other words, we decorate them with thoughts. But just as the people in the house had the potential to step outside of their own self-made artificial world into the beauty of the natural light, you can step outside your house of thoughts into the unlimited. Your awareness can expand to encompass vast space instead of limited space in which you dwell. Then when you look back at it, at that little house you built, you'll wonder why you were ever in there. That is your journey out. True freedom is very close. It's just on the other side of your walls. Enlightenment is a very special thing. But in truth, one should not focus on it. Focus instead on the walls of your own making that are blocking the light. Of what purpose is it to build walls that block the light And then strive for enlightenment. You can get out simply by letting everyday life take down the walls that you hold around yourself. You simply don't participate in supporting, maintaining, and defending your fortress. Imagine your house of thoughts standing in the middle of an ocean of light from a trillion stars. Imagine your awareness trapped inside the darkness of that house. Struggling daily to live off the artificial light of your limited experience. Now imagine... The walls crumbling down and the effortless release of consciousness expanding into the brilliance of what is and always was. Now give that experience a name, enlightenment.
3: Sweet. Good analogy, good way to look at it. It's so uh so parallels. The lesson in The Course in Miracles, what is the world? If we we take a look at at that lesson, the world is false perception. Walls. It is born of error. It has not left its source. It will remain no longer than the thought that gave it birth is cherished. When the thought of separation has been changed to one of true forgiveness the world will be seen in quite another light one which leads to truth where all the world must disappear and its errors vanish. Now its source is gone and its effects are gone too so the the course uses the word world in two different ways it uses this, it uses the word to represent the actuality i wish when they had edited the course that they had used the capital w for the world that the creator created and then a lowercase w for the world that's going on the one that he's using the analogy for that happens in our minds so whatever the the walls are that we build with our thoughts you know from the terrible experiences or from the power person messages whatever it is Literally, it becomes the confines in which we live. And once you realize that that world is self-created, there is an efficient, effective, systematic way, and you've got to be careful because the mind will tend to trick you right back into that old world, to remove the walls and go back to our full-blown relationship with love. That lesson in the course, What is the World?, goes on to say the world was made as an attack on God. When you realize that God is love, every thought that's based in something other than love it's an attack. It's a way of covering up, putting up a set of walls to block out the love and creating a construct in the mind that is the lower W, lowercase W world. So this particular lesson, the Course says, this world, lowercase, symbolizes fear. And what is fear but love's absence? I mean it's right, his analogy is right down the line. We've come in from out of the light, we constructed walls that block block and put us in darkness. And then of course the exciting ideas that create the light in that world of darkness are the 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 ideas, false as they are, that have me believe that my judgment is right. That brings light into the situation to the ego, to the non-being mind. And it's an attack on the true source of light. So this lowercase world, the lesson goes on to say, was meant to be a place where love could not enter. And we could be apart from the Creator. Here was perception born, for knowledge could not cause such insane thoughts. Being willing, able, and doing the work of giving up perception is huge. And by analogy, the story that Michael's telling in his book, those thought walls, the mind energy of judgment that blocks out light and then brings in pseudo-light, artificial light, and that would be... Also, the hit of dopamine that we get when we achieve a goal. You know, people can become attached to negative goals because each time you achieve a goal, there's this hit of what's been called our happy powder of dopamine. Oh, accomplishment, accomplishment, even negative accomplishment. So knowledge could not cause such insane thoughts, but eyes deceive and ears hear falsely. Now be- mistakes become quite possible for certainty has gone. The mechanisms of illusion have been born instead. And now they go to find what has been given them to seek. Their aim is to fulfill the purpose the world was made to witness and make real. So as you stand back and observe your own mind and watch what your world, your self-constructed world is witnessing to, if it's witnessing to something based in some form of hostility or fear, something that creates contraction, constriction, you know, a proper translation of the word heaven from the ancient Aramaic scriptures is expansion. The kingdom of expansion is within. It's pushing back the walls. So this whole lowercase w world was made to witness and make something real. What was it made to witness? That our thoughts are real. That our thoughts based in hostility or fear can do something. So the lesson goes on to say, They see in its illusions, it being the lowercase w world, but a solid base where truth exists, upheld apart from lies. Yet everything they report is but illusion which is kept apart from truth. As sight was made to lead away from truth, it can be redirected. Sounds become the call for love and all perception can be given a new purpose. And so the truth of who who we are has the ability to see, follow the light shown by that mind. Hear that voice alone in all that speaks to you. And let that voice, the voice of actuality, the voice that is the presence of love, bring you peace and certainty, which you've thrown away. But the serenity, the peace, and the certainty have been preserved for you. The lesson goes on to say, let us not, pardon, yeah, let us not rest content until the world has joined our changed perception. Let us not be satisfied until forgiveness has been made complete. Let us not attempt to change our function. So this process of forgiveness redeems us from this world of false perception. And when you see that through the mind of love in you, then we can be restored to the truth of who we are. And who are we really? We literally are may of that light, of that stuff called love. But if we tell ourselves a story long enough that something outside of us is the cause of the walls we have built, then we can come to believe that our self-limiting experiences are truly forced on us by someone else. And the Restoration to Truth is what this work is all about. And so we've got about five minutes left, sweetie, which would be a perfect time frame for one quick conversation. So if you're out there in listener land, our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And if you have a question or thought for us, push 1. Raise a hand in the control panel. We'll be having a conversation. How can we support you? What's on your mind? 563-999-3581. Janie, do we have anything happening in the chat room or anything happening in the phone queue? No, it's
1: all quiet, and we're actually down to Two minutes.
3: Two minutes. Well, in that case, let's just let everybody know that we're contemplating a 10-week intuitive development Zoom intensive. If you're interested in that, you can drop Jeannie a note. Her email is jeanie at whyagain.org. And if you drop her that email, make sure to leave your phone number and your name. And as we see enough people coming together to schedule that, we'll put it on the schedule and do a ten a week Zoom online Zoom intensive. Of course that will include personal code evaluations, it will include the uh the private face group Facebook group uh, food program, personal food program, as well as the chill app for recipes for awesome, wondrous fresh and raw food that can help to vitalize and strengthen people in making this journey back to wholeness. So we appreciate you joining us. we the space for you to have the best year yet of your eternal life. Again, Ms. Susan, thank you for your willingness to be so vulnerable and to uh, provide a light. Everybody have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: To live more consciously, evolving
1: continuously. Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the 1st Century Aramaic Internal Process of Forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mindshifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.